1: Welcome to Exploring Missions. Connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs. Across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper.
0: In that verse, did you hear all nations? When that was given by Christ and what we interpret nations to mean now and what it meant then may have a little bit difference. We're so geographically boundary bound that sometimes we don't see, and I'm going to use this phrase nations within nations or people groups within a nation. And so we're to take that message around the world. This is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper. Nathan, we look at the gospel to all the nations geography i just love and i study i have a globe on my desk i love maps i've collected them but one of the things that if we're not careful we will let those boundaries where we're seeing and say we got a missionary there or we've got a people group there that we're reaching but there may be people groups within inside that boundary that do not have access to the gospel
1: yeah there's a uh... Really, in the last century, we've seen peoples on the move, migration patterns. And basically, it's people from everywhere going to everywhere. <laughs> and that's how the gospel should move as well. The gospel should be from everywhere to everywhere, from God's people to all peoples. And God can use a lot of different ways of seeing that happen, but it's ultimately for the purpose of His glory among all the peoples of all the nations. Uh, And like you said, nation, biblically the word nation does not refer to geopolitical boundary lines, Uh, nation states, it's people groups, ethnic groups. In the Old Testament, that word is in Hebrew, ger. In the New Testament, you see it more uh, listed as Gentiles. But God's heart, God has a heart for all nations, all peoples.
0: A Bible study that we did concerning missions on Exploring Missions a few weeks, maybe months ago, was God's heart for the nations in the book of Job. Yeah. We had some folks really comment on that, and they were saying, that was unique and different and said we'd never even considered that. Well, you have brought to us another idea about God's heart for the nations in another book of the
1: Bible. Would you introduce that to us? Today, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. So God's heart for the nations in the book of Daniel, comparing that with Job, you know, Job, it was a little bit more hidden. You had to kind of uncover it. But in Daniel, it's pretty right there out in the open. And we're going to read a few passages where we see that.
0: But unless you're looking at it missionally, most of the time we read over it. I I just want to share with you. I've shared this before. God had to bring me to the place of seeing the Bible. Uh, It's a missional book. It's God's message of salvation to the nations. I looked at it as, as his story. Yes, the gospel redemption, a handbook for a living, godly idea, and it's still all of that. But when you see it and read it and see God's heart for the world, for all the nations, it puts an aspect into it that changes everything. So uh, yeah. let's do that in the book of Daniel.
1: Okay, so some of this is going to be a basic, just a Bible study on on the book of Daniel, a little bit of overview, and then we're, we're going to kind of narrow down to a couple chapters and specifically to a couple passages in those chapters.
0: Well, that, I want to just, the other program I do is Exploring the Word, and that's exactly how you're supposed to do it. Okay, uh, You're supposed to get an overview of the entire book, you look to see if it's in the Old or New Testament. You look to see if it's in the Law of the Prophets or is it in history. Where is it in poetry? You you find that, and it helps you to understand. And Daniel's different in that it's a. Prophetic book, but it's also a historical book. Yeah, there's some
1: narrative storylines. Yes, that's there going is. On.
0: And when you put that together, you have a unique book in the book of Daniel. Yeah. So let's go over the overview as you said, and then narrow in and look at God's heart for the nations.
1: Okay. So just a basic background of the book of Daniel. First of all, Daniel, the word Daniel or his name Daniel, means God is my judge. Any word, any name you see in Old Testament in Hebrew, with the letters E-L, English, the English letters E-L on the end of it, that E-L stands for El or Elohim, God. So, God is my judge, is what Daniel means. Interesting, this is just a side note, but you've noticed this, I'm sure, that when you read the stories, and especially in Daniel chapter 1, of uh, Daniel and his friends and their names uh, are changed from a Hebrew name and they're given Babylonian type names. Isn't it funny that we know Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego by their Babylonian names, but Daniel's name stays Daniel. It stays Daniel. Yeah. It says something about his identity, who he was in, in God, uh, the godly man that he was. So this took place, the the storyline, the narrative part of Daniel that you read about in the book Took place sometime during the Babylonian and Persian exiles, so somewhere six hundred five to five thirty six BC, and Daniel kind of spans both the Babylonian Empire at this time under Nebuchadnezzar didn't last real real long, and it wasn't too long before the Persian Med Persian Empire came in actually overtook the Babylonian empire.
0: He was a young man when he was taken to yes. Babylon and so he lived to be an older man so it the time span is real and his influence is real in both kingdoms. Yeah.
1: And so Daniel the book of Daniel itself is a prophetic book we list it under the prophets and so any any prophetic book general the general idea is that they're trying to get across is faithfulness to the covenant. So God's covenant people, Israel, God's calling up prophets like Daniel to speak to them, to remind them, to write to them, to be faithful to the covenant that they've been called to, to hang on to that identity, to be the people of God that God has raised them up to be. And not just for living, but also for, we'll see, a missional purpose. So faithfulness to the covenant. Now, kind of a quick overview, if you you can break up the chapters in different ways. So in Daniel chapters 1 through 6, you see the narrative flow. You see the stories about Daniel and his friends. And those stories emphasize faithfulness to God, a personal faithfulness to God. Then you take the rest of the book, chapters 7 through 12, and they're not necessarily Stories about Daniel and his friends, their visions uh, of Daniel, of future victory, visions of future victory, and they emphasize hope through persecution, okay, hope through persecution. Now, the centerpiece of the book of Daniel, and really a crucial chapter in the whole Bible, is Daniel chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the centerpiece, and it ties both sections together, the narrative section, the vision section. It ties them together and it emphasizes a coming son of man who is given a kingdom which will not pass away or be destroyed. Now we know now who that son of man is. So when we
0: read in the New Testament Gospels, the reference that Jesus used for himself more than any other phrase, son of man, go back to Daniel chapter 7 and you'll find the full meaning of that, the ancient of days. The son of man. Yeah. Yes.
1: All right. So another way to study the book of Daniel is to kind of break it up. And, and a lot of people study the narrative portions and leave off the prophetic side. It's good to study it as a whole, especially if you note this seven kind of ties them together. But one way to look at it is take chapters one through seven as a portion. And you could look at it this way. So chapter one. Is kind of an introduction. It introduces us to the setting, the primary characters, the overall narrative plot, as well as many major themes throughout the book of Daniel. So that's chapter one, like the intro. Chapters one, three, and six, and today we're going to look closer at chapters three and six as a pair, but chapters one, three, and six teach us to be faithful despite persecution, which gives us hope, uh, which gives hope to God's suffering people. So um, you can kind of combine chapters two and seven, chapters three and six, and then chapters four and five. Those pairs, they form three sets of pairs that you can study together. Today, like I said, we're going to look at three and six together. Another little interesting bit about Daniel is two languages, written in two languages. So chapters one and then the eight through 12 section are written in Hebrew kind of what you would expect to find in the Old Testament. But chapters 2 through 7 are actually written in Aramaic. So that's a little bit of a difference there. You have
0: different things occurring in different books, but not seemingly as pronounced as the book of Daniel. Right.
1: Now, we're going to start out by looking at just a few of these. Uh, We're going to get to chapter 3, but I want to give you a few little notes Looking about uh, major themes in chapters one, two through seven or two and seven and three and six. And then we'll hone in on three and six. That sounds good. Sounds good. Let's go. All right. Chapter one. So chapter one teaches us that we can know our identity and not just know our identity in God, but being confident in our identity in God as God's people. Is essential to being faithful in difficult circumstances, and you see that in Daniel. Yeah, uh, his identity. We talked about that. So Daniel's the identity of God's people. Daniel representing God's people is crucial in being faithful to the covenant.
0: Moses remembered his identity even though he's in Pharaoh's court.
1: Yes, and we see that Jesus did that as well. Amen. All right. So also in chapter one, making a firm decision, Daniel purposed in his heart is what it says. Not to defile his body. Well, making a firm decision to honor God in everyday life is necessary for faithfulness.
0: Your identity and this followed by a firm
1: decision. It's a choice. It's a conscious choice to follow God. And
0: he made it when he was a young man.
1: He did. He did. And he continued daily, year after year. No matter who was the king in the empire he was exiled to, he, he was making that conscious choice. And then faithfulness to God may bring threats, greater difficulties, and dangers. But it also brings God's deliverance and exaltation from God that we're exalted if we remain faithful to him. So all that's in chapter 1. If you take chapters 2 and 7 together, we learn that without God, men behave as beasts, like wild animals, especially when given corrupting power. Have you heard that, right? Power corrupts. You see that in the book of Daniel. Pride leads to their downfall, however. So men are given power. They act like beasts, but then that pride overtakes them, and they, they, they're led to downfall. Uh, you know the story about Nebuchadnezzar, right? Becoming like a wild beast uh, uh, out in the field. Hard to describe him. Yeah. But it was bad either way. However, humility especially in submission to God, leads to exaltation. God exalts his servant or servants, and the idea of God's servant is crucial, is a big theme in the book of Daniel. We know that lead, that leads us to look to Jesus as, as God's servant. But God exalts his servants, bringing glory to his own name to rule over his eternal kingdom. And then this is really interesting. In both chapters 2 and 7, you see an image of a rock Jesus is seen to be the rock sent from God to destroy or judge all human kingdoms, which in pride set themselves up to be above God and persecute God's people. So Jesus destroys those human-centered kingdoms.
0: They do not last. Kingdoms of this earth come and they go.
1: That's right. And Jesus literally is the one who brings them down. That's that's pretty interesting Mm. to note that. And he is also seen as the son of man who will forever rule and reign over God's kingdom.
0: Now we get to chapter I'd remind Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> we want to make it in this world, Nathan.
1: Mm. All right, so chapters 3 and 6, we see that God's servants are faithful to God, both publicly and privately, no matter the consequences. And God is faithful to deliver them from death. Serving the world's unrepentant kingdoms carries fatal consequences in the end. And we see that God's faithfulness in delivering his servants from death results in all nations worshiping the most high God. And that's kind of the point we're wanting to get to. That's
0: the turning point of what we're coming to today. Let me restate that. God's faithfulness in delivering his servants from death, in this case, results in all nations worshiping the most high God which is the purpose.
1: That's right. Okay. So we might go back and ask, well, why was Israel in captivity? Why was Israel exiled at this time? And the obvious answer is, well, they were not faithful to God's covenant. They turned their back on God. Idolatry was the key component to that. You know, they're being unfaithful. However, so we, we would say that's punishment. You know, God was... Uh, judging, bringing judgment on his people, punishing them, even though he was allowing a remnant to uh, stay that would be faithful. But another way to look at it from another perspective is, was this also God redeeming Israel's purpose of being a light to the nations? They had long time ago forgotten this purpose. Now, they're not going to fulfill that purpose when they're not faithful to the covenant to begin with. But just because they're faithful to the covenant doesn't mean they're still fulfilling God's purpose in the world for his chosen people, which was to be that light, to draw people to God so God's ways and name would be known among all the earth. And they had failed in that, miserably failed. Was this exile an opportunity for them to find some success in fulfilling God's purpose? Well, we'll find out they did make a difference in, what, two kings' lives, yeah, anyway? that's right. That's right. So in some ways, we might say the exile was punishment, but we could also say it might have been a mission trip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I've been on mission trips where you do suffer for the Lord. Yeah, I'll okay. put it that way. All right. Yes.
1: All right. So we're going to look at closer at Daniel chapter 3 and 6, and we're going to compare and contrast And we're not going to read all these passages, but if you wanted to open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 3 and then flip over to Daniel chapter 6, you can go back and forth and see how these kind of go together. So in Daniel 3, the storyline is focused on three, maybe four people. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then you have the king, which is Nebuchadnezzar. But in chapter 6, the focus is on Daniel And it's a different king. This time you have Darius. Two different kings. Two different kings, two different kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar is the king over the Babylonians, and Darius is the ruler over the Persians. So in verse 1 of both chapters, you see a kingly setup. In chapter 3, verse 1, it's Nebuchadnezzar, and he set up a statue of himself, basically. Real giant, huge statue, maybe 90 feet tall, I think it might be. In verse 1 of chapter 6, and even verse 3 there of chapter 6, you have Darius setting up his government. So Nebuchadnezzar actually just sets up a statue, but Darius is setting up his new government, but it's a kingly setup. Moving on down into the story, you see worship. In chapter 3, they're called, the people are asked or commanded to worship an image basically that statue. they're to bow down before it, right? Over in chapter six, with Darius and Daniel, the command is to pray to the king, to pray to Darius. No more praying to your God. You have to pray for this period of time to the king. Now, there's jealousy in both both of these stories. In chapter three with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you see jealousy in verse eight. And let me just read that real quick. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. So there was these leaders in the in the government there, and they were jealous specifically of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But you also see jealousy in uh, Daniel chapter six, verses four and five. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a group, a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So they were jealous of Daniel in chapter six. So you see jealousy at play in both stories. You see death at play in both stories for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. What was the instrument of death? Fiery furnace. Fiery furnace. And in Daniel chapter six, the instrument of death was The Lion's Den. The Lion's Den. But then you see, even though under the threat of death, you see faithful rebellion on the part of God's people. In Daniel chapter three, they were told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to kneel before this image of the king. And so they they did not kneel. So there was no kneeling, and that's how they rebelled. They didn't they didn't bow their knee. That obey God rather than man. That's right. In Ch- Daniel chapter six, there actually was kneeling. Daniel was told not to pray, but he went to his room and he would pray anyway. So there was n- no kneeling in one story. There was yeah. kneeling in the other That's story. Good contrast. But then you see the king's response. In chapter three, Nebuchadnezz- Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was yeah. so angry. Um. But in Darius's case, in chapter 6, he actually regretted the law that was passed. He knew he had been hoodwinked. Yeah, he knew that Daniel had been trapped, and he, he was kind of uh, tricked along oh. with him. But then you see deliverance in both stories. Daniel chapter 3, verses uh, 25 through 27, we hear how God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And it's really interesting. I just want to read just a little bit of that. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods or a son of God. They knew there was a divinity to that fourth person in the fire. And that was God bringing deliverance to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't scorched. In Daniel chapter 6, God sent someone, a spiritual being, an angel of the Lord, to shut the mouths of the lions. So God took personal action in delivering his people from death. All right, we're still with us. There's just a few more to go. In Daniel chapter 3, we see more death. This is interesting, too. It is. In Daniel chapter 3, it wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who died, who actually died the man who was throwing them into the furnace that's right the nebuchadnezzar was so angry and enraged he had the furnace heated what seven times seven times It's normal it's normal heat i don't know how that can be measured but it was so hot that before they even got to the door the flames had jumped out and killed the men who the, were putting the strong them men, in the, yeah. yeah so
0: that means they had to walk into the furnace from there i guess on the own. Can, I've that, always, yeah. yeah i was visualized that that's right That's interesting. The fourth man in the furnace was saying, come on in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I I don't know that. But in chapter six, because Darius knew that he had been tricked, he went back and had those evil men who tricked him into passing that law. He had them and even their families executed.
0: Sounds a little bit like Esther.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Last two points. Exalting God's servant. In Daniel chapter three, Verse 30, it's an important point. So it says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He had lifted their positions because God had delivered them. In Daniel chapter 6, it's uh, Daniel, obviously. In verse 28, it talks about how Darius the king exalted Daniel into a higher position. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now we're getting to the final point, which we see the king's decree. Daniel chapter 3 spills over. This story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spills over into the first part of Daniel chapter 4. So I just want to read Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And this is Nebuchadnezzar giving a decree. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, the once proud, fallen, and restored king would come to to declare that God is the most high God and that all peoples around the world should worship him.
0: Let me remind people what we're talking about is God's love for the nations, all the nations, all the nations of the earth.
1: Yep. Now the same, almost word for word, same decree was given in Daniel chapter 6, this time by Darius, and we're going to read Daniel chapter 6, verses 25-25 through 27. And you could kind of go back and forth to see how these, these decrees match up says, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my Royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. (laughs) You see, God's heart for the nations in this book and in these stories, and even kings would come to recognize God's power and God's authority and God's rule. And they knew that God brought deliverance to his people. And they wanted that for all the peoples of the earth.
0: And it was because of the faithfulness of these men who said, we're not going to sit here in a a world that God didn't give us. Our hearts long for the nation back there, but we're going to make the most of where God has placed us. Is God making the most of where he placed you to be that light to the world? For Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, it was a light unto the Gentiles, and then those Gentile kings would declare the glory of God to all the nations. Praise God. Nathan, thank you for this interesting study. You've had an overview of the first few chapters of the book of Daniel, and you give the result of faithfulness to God. Thank you, brother.
1: Thank you. It's been a privilege, and I just pray that uh, we will learn to see God's heart for the nations in every book of the Bible all throughout Scripture.
0: Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. May you have a great weekend and may God use you in his mission work.